Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, it's The Hash on Coindesk TV. It's a fresh week. It's Monday. (laughs) I'm glad to be here. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, David Morris, all-star cast, getting you up to date on what's happening. In crypto news, Wendy, kick us off. Little SBF update. What's up? We can't. It can't be a manic Monday without an SBF update. Okay. So Bingman Fried should have only flip phones. Website whitelist. DOJ says. I think I kind of agree with this. I think that Sam Bingman Fried should only be allowed to have a flip phone. But basically, SBF just he just wants to watch Netflix and read crypto news like CoinDesk, the hash. Sam, if you're watching, grr. But anyways, apparently his attorneys wrote a letter to the district judge, Lewis Kaplan, requesting adjustments to the conditions of SBF's bail. It includes establishing an allow list of websites he could visit on a new, specially configured laptop. The allowable websites are described as not providing a private communication platform and not facilitating access to or transferring crypto, which we all know he will still be doing that. He will just use another device. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> I know I, I raised two teenage kids. I get it. I, I know how these things work. But the, apparently the websites included are going to be Amazon, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, crypto media like Coindesk, The Hash. Make sure you guys are watching. Netflix and Spotify and food delivery services, DoorDash and Uber Eats, because when he does go to the big house, he will not have access to those. Jen, since you're our legal person on the channel, let's go ahead and have you comment on this ridiculous I story. I don't really have a, a legal take on this. I think it's funny that as part of this, his parents will have to you know, commit to having monitoring devices on the devices that he has internet access to. They have to commit to not allowing him to use their devices. It's like having a three-year-old all over again. And I just can't imagine how his parents are coping or what they're, like, what they're going through amongst all of this. I thought it was super funny that he wants access to Coindesk. I, I hope he watches The Hash. I hope he hears our, our takes. I, I'd love to hear more about that. But we have to remember that Sam was using his devices to contact witnesses in this upcoming trial and his messaging apps were taken away. And so I think it makes sense that he shouldn't have access to the internet. Like he should just have a flip phone 
I agree with this, but I mean, I don't know, Zach, I saw your hand up, so I'm going to toss it off to you. I feel like you're going to have a good take and you're going to be on Sam's side here. Oh, definitely. No access to the internet. That's cruel and unusual punishment. A flip phone in 2023. When you have bad things, bad things brutal. need to happen hey, to you. Hey, hey, lawyer expert, <laughs> allegedly bad things. Just remember that this man is innocent until proven guilty. We don't know that he's going to do some different shenanigans from different accounts and transferring crypto around. We do not know that. Those are all baseless allegations. He's watching football, guys. He's just watching football. Look at him. Hey, man, clearly a diehard football fan. Spring training baseball has started. The man needs to watch on MLB TV. So that's on the list. Well, MLB.com. Anyway, this is this is the cost of like losing your freedom to, you know, the criminal justice system, right? You have to make silly requests and you have to lay bare to the world through public documents, which dumb websites you like to read. And that is ultimately maybe just desserts for someone who allegedly has made off with lots and lots of money. So anyway, it's on chains. Gosh, golly. Hey, 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 American justice system, whatever, whatever. Proven guilty. Yeah. uh, Just to follow up on what Jen said about witness tampering, basically. I mean, we unfortunately have a day full of of dumb stories about bad people today. I wish we could steal the Castle (laughs) Island boys thing and have uh, bad boys cops theme play. But yeah, so rewinding back to like November, December, whatever, I guess it's December. We found out then that Sam Bankman-Fried was like messaging JJR, the uh, the bankruptcy CEO, being like, oh, maybe I can help you. So he's got this vibe where he thinks he's he like on some level of his brain, he thinks he's just being like a regular nice guy. But what he's actually doing is criminal. It's like a recurring theme. Um, I mean, he, he, he just like whatever the process is, the Rube Goldberg machine that runs through his brain. There must be some smart seeming rationalization for all this behavior, but he ultimately winds up just looking like a dumb, dumb guy. And like the fact that you're on house arrest using a VPN to watch football is just like the ultimate. And then simultaneously doing doing witness tampering. Uh, it's it's awesome. This is the level of fraud that we deserve, apparently. So, oh, go for it, Wendy. I will say, though, I'm pretty sure when he does go to the big house, he's going to have a lot more privileges than he does have at home. They have access to all kinds of things. And I feel like his behavior just kind of shows certain types of tendencies that um, can be observed. And also, too, again, I've said it before, I do think that he's been giving access and the judge is kind of taking it easy on him so he can continue to incriminate himself. I believe there was a wallet that was found with a bunch of moving Bitcoin from the exchange. There's a bunch of things that happened over the weekend. But yeah, everything is just alleged. Just alleged. That is a very good theory. That That is a very interesting thought. Let's do this thing. I got the next story. I got the next story. You guys ready? You guys ready for this segue? From one alleged fraudster to the next, let's go from SPF (laughs) to Do Kwan. Here we go. That's the bad boys boys. theme. Boys, what you gonna do? do? What you gonna do? Anyway, all right. We're going to take it to the Terra story, right? Terra was one of the initial collapses back in May that really captivated headlines and subsequently led to a ton of carnage in the crypto markets. Do Kwan, founder of Terraform Labs, is sort of in the crosshairs of a number of law enforcement agencies and investigators. We saw the SEC take action not long ago. South Korea has taken action. And now Singapore, according to Bloomberg, is also homing in on Do Kwan and the Terra collapse. David, I think, has been following this one most doggedly, so I'm going to toss it to him for his initial thoughts. What do you got? Yeah, so just to sort of bring people up to speed on the context here, you mentioned recent new SEC charges. And, you know, I think that they flew a little tiny bit under the radar, but those new SEC charges drastically changed the narrative about 
what was going on with Doquan and Terraform Labs. I mean, we have our, our podcast series, Crypto Crooks, this season that's currently coming out now. I believe we have a new episode tomorrow on Doquan and Luna and Terraform. And our focus going in was really like, this was such a bad idea. Why did people fall for it? And then we had the new charges come out with the SEC a couple of weeks ago that make it very clear that it wasn't just a bad idea. It was a very proactive fraud that involved a lot of fake documentation. And we also now know, thanks to the SEC, that Doquan and or his allies has cashed out about $100 million worth of the Bitcoin gathered supposedly for the Luna Foundation Guard. And so you will see, I think we, we have Singapore coming on side now. You will see other uh, collaboration from investigators and governments and, and agencies now that there's this much clearer sense that Do Kwan is a is a criminal and a fraud, and, uh, and it's really right out there on the table. So, so we've seen a shift in something that happened a year ago, which I think is important to keep in mind. The story is always changing. I kind of want to chime in a little bit and talk about some of the actions that the SEC has done. Gary Gensler basically came out and says everything but Bitcoin could be a security. And I feel like that's very lazy on his part, but this directly relates to bad actors in the space. If you come out and you don't do your job in the proper manner, but then want to go ahead and call bad people out later on, I feel like it kind of discredits the SEC in a sense because they're basically they're basically putting every other crypto project or every other crypto service product, whatever, into this basket indicating that is bad when in fact Doquan is actually a bad actor but they're also putting in other people that are good actors into this basket. So my only concern about this is, is that later on, once Gary Gensler does get replaced, because I have a feeling he's going to, because he's just, he's not doing his job clearly. He's taking the easy way out. I feel like that could lead to any type of discrediting the actual bad actors, people like Joe Kwan. Jen, is that something that could happen in the future if Gary Gensler is not doing his job properly and then he is replaced and then somebody new steps in and says, well, you know, X, Y, and Z was said, but that's not really the way it is. So would that maybe not get Doquan in as much trouble or kind of discredit the United States SEC, make it harder for other countries to kind of follow suit and do use the information that we have to kind of put against these bad actors? I think David is going to have a better answer to that question. So I'm going to pause on that. David, we're going to throw it to you after my take on this. I think, you know, just especially since we are doing the story after Sam Bankman-Fried, I see so many parallels between Doquan and Sam Bankman-Fried. You know, when this whole thing blew up, Doquan was on social media saying, I didn't know I did anything wrong. I'm a good guy. How could I have known that this would have collapsed like this? I really care about the retail investors at the end of the day. And then all this information comes out against that. Let's not forget that there is an Interpol red notice against this man. And up until I think it was February 1st, he was out here on Twitter essentially trolling regulators. And so I, I really hope that with all of these actions and all of these different jurisdictions, we're able to find Doquan and get some answers and get some justice for the people who have lost a ton, a ton of money in what's happened. David? First of all, Wendy, I think we're going to discuss your point in much more depth when we move on to Voyager in a second. I think it's very relevant to that story. But also just to throw out one wild final comment here about Doquan. Not only is there a red notice, but he fled, according to South Korean sources, he has fled to Serbia. Now, Serbia is interesting as a destination for him because he's from South Korea, no obvious geographical or cultural connection. But Serbia is near a hotbed of organized crime that we now know much more clearly has been entangled with past crypto frauds, particularly OneCoin, which is based in Bulgaria, right next door to Serbia. 
So in that light, the fact that he fled to Serbia specifically has some interesting tantalizing possibilities as to why. Maybe, maybe he has friends there that we don't know about yet. So just to throw that out there, I don't know if anybody else wants to talk or Wendy, go for it. I- I just want to say I can't wait for the Lifetime or the Hallmark documentary on this. It's going to be very interesting. I hope they make a novella in it because everything in Spanish sounds so much more dramatic and just so much better. Zach? Does Hallmark make documentaries? I always thought Hallmark made Christmas movies. And so when you said that, Wendy, I imagined like Do Kwan and the Hallmark Christmas movie. Yeah, we gotta gotta have it. I mean, he was on the run during Christmas. It would make a good one, actually, like a Christmas to, to remember. The Christmas Fugitive. Featuring... Yeah, exactly. And he falls in love somehow along the way. Oh, he can fall in love with the scammer from one point. Abandoned in South Korea. Or a regulator. That would be the ultimate Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, sadly, uh, I don't think he could fall in love with Ruja from one coin because according to new documents that surfaced last week, she was dismembered and thrown into the ocean by her organized crime partners. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that's that's something. Sorry, just to throw that out there. I wasn't expecting. Thanks, David. It is what it is. Yeah, we almost had a screenplay there, and then David came in with with a material. I mean, it's update. a different kind of screenplay. Dang. True. Calling all early stage crypto, blockchain, and Web three startups, teams, and builders. Apply to CoinDesk PitchFest, powered by Google Cloud, and pitch live on stage at Consensus in Austin this April. Winners will receive two VIP Piranha Passes to Consensus 2024, featured coverage on Coindesk, and an invitation to present at Coindesk's Private Investor Summit, Ideas 2023. Learn more and apply at consensus.coindesk.com slash pitchfest. If you thought the SBF and Do Kwan stories were stupid and infuriating, you haven't seen anything yet. Because this Voyager stuff is wild. Voyager most recently has denied SEC assertions that its VGX token is a security. Um, And just to lay a little bit of context, uh, I I was getting caught up on this story myself. Binance US is attempting to buy out Voyager and its remaining assets, uh, somewhat surrounded by rhetoric about making customers whole. Uh, Now the SEC has basically attempted to stop this acquisition in part by claiming that the VGX token, which I guess is on Voyager's balance sheet, is a security. And therefore, the sale to Binance US would amount to the illegal sale of the security. All I will say is that uh, the outcome of this really should be that whoever Voyager's lawyers were in 2019 should go straight to jail, because the idea that you would be a US domiciled and Canadian US, Canadian exchange listed company and issue your own token is wild. Uh, I will leave it at that for now and uh, let others jump in. Obviously, this is part of a bigger story about the SEC trying to lean on Binance. So that's kind of probably the important thing here. Zach, I see you nodding along. Or yeah, I'm nodding. I mean, I'm, on, I'm on the record on this show previously saying that, you know, maybe exchange tokens are a good place for the Securities, Securities and Exchange Commission to investigate rather than going after something like a stable coin, which is a bit more fuzzy in terms of the claims that those two may be securities in some instances. So I think, yeah, you're right. You nailed it. I mean, yes, you, largely U.S. company issuing its own token you know, we saw that with uh, BNB, we saw that with FTT. Key differences there is that they were in sort of different jurisdictions that may have been more friendly to that. But it sure looks like a company with a token. I'm sure there are, you know, bright legal minds who maybe uh, found a way to make this not, not be the case when it launched back in 2019. Uh, but I mean, I think uh, exchange tokens are a bit, uh, a bit suspect, I think, honestly, especially in this current environment where, you know, 
if everything besides Bitcoin is a security, then this sort of class of tokens, I think, would probably be, you know, more on the spectrum towards that side of things uh, in accordance with Gary Gensler's views on a number of cryptocurrencies. Mm -hmm. But I saw Wendy's hand. I want to toss it to her. Like, is there a case for why, you know, Voyager may be right in this case and uh, in batting back these claims from the SEC? I don't even think that this is law or not, but again, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that the SEC allowed Voyager to operate in the United States of America. And and SEC's job is to protect retail. The SEC's job is to protect retail. If they cared so much about protecting retail, why wasn't this issue brought up in 2019? Why wasn't it brought up previously? There's literally people that are waiting to get their money back and there's been a solution for it. Binance US, I don't give it, I don't care if you like CZ, I don't care if you like Binance or not. There's people that have their funds stuck on the exchange. I'm one of those people that has the funds there. I don't care if I get my money back or not. It doesn't bother me because I didn't have a whole lot there. My issue is, is that the fact that SEC is not doing their job. You don't get to allow something to happen for years and then, and then not say anything. And then they collapse, file for chapter 11. And then people, innocent people are literally waiting to get their money back and then stop the transaction because you decided to do your job. That's not okay. I, there's some, there's, I don't know what is going on with our government in the United States. But this is immensely problematic. Uh, Jen, go ahead. Yeah, I agree with, with you, Zach, but I think like is now the time. So I think I agree with Zach and Wendy, right? The story says that these delays are costing $10 million per month, right? Over 97% of creditors have voted for this plan to move forward. And there was another story where the bankruptcy judge said, you know, he doesn't understand why the SEC is doing this in this way. They're basically just saying they want to stop it, but they're not providing any more information. And the judge thinks that it's a little bit ridiculous. And I think his direct quote was that he is shocked. I want to also remind everyone of the story we covered on the hash a few weeks ago, where I think it was the FTC who was saying that this deal should not go through because they have problems with the way that Voyager was advertising to retail. And they don't want this bankruptcy deal to go through because if it went through, then all financial claims and and potential criminal claims will go away. And so the fact that regulators are trying to stop this now when really all that's happening is we're trying to get as much money back to people who lost money in the first place is just, it's a little shocking. And David, before I pass it to you, I want to mention that there's a financial advisor for Voyager who's quoted in the story saying, a year and a half ago, we provided all the documentation to the SEC that the SEC requested and they never got back to us. So we thought that this was settled. And so it is kind of weird that it's happening now, David. Yeah, that's the thing when I say this is the most infuriating and stupid story of the day. It's because not only is Voyager clearly, I mean, look, this is a security. They were offering staking rewards. It's not ambiguous at all. At the same time, the SEC is behaving wildly in this trial. My reading of some reporting that we did was that essentially the SEC is demanding that Voyager prove its token is not a security, which is like literally epistemologically impossible. You cannot prove a negative. And, and so this, this request by the SEC is, is crazy. And the way they're doing, they're just throwing sand in the gears. Basically, I mean, I think that they're essentially using Voyager victims as human shields in their assault on Binance. And uh, I mean, so that's my read of the situation. There are no good guys here. I, I really feel for Voyager people because this does not look like it's going to come out well for, for customers. They're just going to keep getting run over in this fight between two actors who are both bad. Shall we move on to a story that's not dumb or stupid? Shall we end this Monday with a little bit of joy in our lives? I'm going to take that yes. raise the roof, Zach, as a yes. All right. 
ETH Denver came to an end yesterday and conference co-founder John Paller revealed that he's in talks to organize satellite events in other countries in the future. Despite it being a bear market, it was the biggest ETH Denver ever. And Zach, I know you were there doing some stuff on some stages. How was it for you? Oh yeah, that's true. No, it was cool. It was, it's, it's always good to see ETH Denver in all of its wild, disorganized, but absolutely lovely self, right? I think ETH Denver is one of the largest crypto events in North America. It really is that convening of builders who are working on smart contracts on Ethereum and elsewhere. And I think this year, you know, they really outdid themselves, right? It was something like 15,000 people. The venue was large. It was packed. People were milling about. It definitely sort of did not feel as depressed as some of the headlines in the crypto news world have been in recent months. These are folks who are still animated by some of those driving big picture ideas that people are striving toward in this space. And it's really cool to see, you know, the builders turn out, right? You hear this adage, it's, it's kind of tired at this point, but now is the time to build. Well, people really took that to heart and showed up in Denver to demonstrate what they're building. So yeah, if this uh, ends up being, you know, the start of something even bigger, you know, hats off to them. Good event as always, but I'll sauce it to Dave. Yeah, I guess I just had a question, Zach. I don't know if you might know, but I remember, you know, there are other conferences with very similar branding to ETH Denver. I, I, I'm not sure that this is actually one, but maybe like ETH Barcelona, ETH Sydney, things like that. I think there are a few others, but they're not directly affiliated to my understanding. So if ETH Denver is trying to do spinoffs, are we going to have like ETH Denver, Barcelona, any, any sense of how that works organizationally? Obviously, you know, it's not like the Ethereum Foundation can tell you whether or not to have a conference, but I'm just curious about that broader picture. Yeah, I don't know I any details on that, but yeah, it's, um, there's, uh, there definitely are existing ones. You know, ECC in Paris comes to mind, but I think they're all independently organized, but I'd have to check. I feel like I saw that um, an announcement that ETH Denver was considering going out of the country and doing something international, which would make sense, unfortunately, because we have all of this uncertainty in the United States with regulators. And then they're starting to come in and just basically label everything mm-hmm. as a security. It would make sense for ETH Denver to kind of find a home elsewhere because people can get in trouble probably just by attending, I would imagine, just for building and code, as we have seen with others that are currently incarcerated in mm-hmm. the United States of America. That's just my take, though. Yeah, ETH Denver said that they hope that the ETH Denver event remains like the Super Bowl of the ETH events and their satellite events will kind of hopefully foster that same energy, that same building energy that they do in Denver and other parts of the world. David, I think you are right. The other ETH events are not technically part of ETH Denver. So I don't know what kind of naming conventions and separation there Mm -hmm. is going to be. But I think that this is really cool. To Zach's point, I was at ETH Denver also. And it was really awesome to see these communities who've grown so much online that we talk so much about on the hash, like come together in real life to do like really cool things. It was like really awesome to see this human interaction take place, especially when the industry seems devastated by all the headlines, three of which we mentioned on the hash today. But Zach, I'll pass it back off to you. Yeah, also within the Ethereum world, I think DevCon announcing that it was not going to host a 2023 event, but would postpone the next DevCon mm-hmm. to 2024 after a successful Bogota event last fall. I think that kind of creates a bit of an opening for some of these Ethereum community events. So potentially that's part of this calculus saying, hey, at least for the immediate term, there's not going to be another DevCon, which is also sort of like, I don't know, say ETH Denver is the Super Bowl. I would say DevCon is the World Cup of Ethereum gatherings, right? A bit more global in nature hops from continent to continent. So the fact that that's not happening in this calendar year, I think, gives East Denver a little bit of room to uh, expand its brand 
and again, keep some of that momentum alive. We can also talk a little bit about some of the discourse around stuff that was happening at ETH Denver. Zach and Jen, I don't know if you were turned off by seeing Gabriel Iglesias sing. I don't know if you sold all your bags because it was so cringe. I missed that one. I missed crypt- that one. It's just crypto culture, man. Gabriel Haynes, the, sorry. Just not even involved in that. Not turned off, not turned on by it. It didn't take hey, part. We like song and dance Ethereum conferences. Remember yeah. when like Vitalik Keep did a, like, a rap weird. with like dancing and like unicorns and stuff? Come on, it's part of the package. I think that was at DevCon, but anyway. All it's right. just Broadway. That's it. It's just Broadway. It's, it's a show culture. business, baby. Yeah, Broadway. There you go. Crypto. Keep Ethereum weird. I think that will be... A pressing mantra at some point in the near future. All right, that's it. We're going to leave it there. That's the hash for a Monday. We are going to be back tomorrow, Taco Tuesday. I'm Zach Seward. That's David Morris, Wendy O. Jen Sanasi. We're glad you're here. We'll see you soon. Check us out on the podcast network where you can also find Crypto Crooks from David Morris. Good stuff. All right, we'll talk to you later. Have a great Monday. See you. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 